0: Father, we just thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your kindness. We pray, Father, that you would use us in this city to be a part of the greater things that are about to occur. We pray that the word, God, would enter our hearts and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Claude. So today we're doing a series called Binding Up the Brokenhearted, and it's, we're going to do a four-part series on binding up. Um, the, we're going to talk about binding up broken dreams. We're going to talk about binding up broken relationships. Today we're going to talk specifically about binding up the brokenhearted. And the, the premise for this, for this series is that as we go into the holidays, you know, holidays are a time of great celebration, great joy, a lot of fun, a lot of family, but they're also a time where people reflect on the losses that they've experienced, the people that they've lost in their life. And it's a, it can be a very uh, difficult and challenging emotional and spiritual time for a lot of people. And all the statistics bear this out. And so I just thought, you know, as a church, why don't we go into these holidays talking about and, and really digging into what God is there for us to do. He's there to heal us. He's there to bind up those broken hearts to bring joy and gladness into our sorrow not that we don't have sorrow but he can bring joy and gladness and hope into that sorrow so that we can live a life of of fullness and abundance and um so i'll just start by asking you and you don't have to raise your hand but have you ever experienced a heartbreak of any kind and 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 you know some of our heartbreaks are are probably profound and then some of them Are you know a little more trivial and I think that all of us though have experienced some kind of grief some loss Some heartbreak some deep disappointment in our life Uh, And each of us probably to some extent struggles with those pains and those losses Um, It happens. It starts when you're young, right? When I see my little kids my little boys, I just I know they're going to experience heartbreak uh apparently lincoln the other day who's three asked one of his fellow toddlers this little girl in his class if she would marry him and uh apparently she said yes so that's done okay so that's all taken care of but but you know i just think uh uh-oh here we go you know it's like when you're a kid remember the notes that you used to write that said will you go out with me yes or no right and then we got a little more nuanced and we added the third box maybe which is like okay, that that gives them an out, right? Um, I will never forget. I think probably, sort of just a funny anecdote, but my my first little heartbreak when I was a kid. Uh, we I was at a church camp, and we uh, I was ten, and at these church camps, you know, when you're a little kid, you know, part of the church camp is there you're praying and you're, but part of it is like you're scoping out, you know, girls to to meet, you know. So I was probably nine or ten, and uh, so I'm, I, I, I'm at this church camp, and this was when we were b- up in Ohio, and there's this girl who's a couple years older than me, and if we didn't have Facebook and, and internet and all that stuff now and recorded sermons, I would tell you her whole name, but I just can't because, you know, but her name was Jamie, that was her first name, I'll just give you that. So, so she was a couple years older than me, and in fact, she was kind of one of the counselors at the camp. But, you know, not a, not a hired, but she was like 12, and I was like 10. And it, when, at that age, that's a huge gap. That's just like, whoa. Well, I heard through the grapevine that Jamie liked me. And I thought, whoa, okay. So I got my note together, and I handed it off to a friend, one of my friends who handed it to one of her friends who handed it to her. And the note said, will you go out with me? Yes, no, maybe. She wrote back through her circle, yes. So that was it. It's done. Like, okay, we're together, right? And when you're 10, being together means, you know, if you're going over to the food shack, you're going to hold hands, and everybody, it just establishes. And if you're walking over, we had this, like, tabernacle where they held the services. Walk over the tabernacle, you know, you're holding hands. Everybody knows. And um, so anyway, we walked around for a week like that, and that was the extent of our relationship. Um, uh, But then we, I went home, and I just, I thought about Jamie, and I just thought, you know, Wow, you know, just what a, I just you know thought, she's so great, you know, and she's 12. You know, she's an older woman, and um, talking to my my mom about her, and, you know, pining about her with my friends and whatever. But then, so we a couple of weeks later, we have what's called family camp. Okay, and family camp is when everybody goes back to the campground, right? So family camp was like coming, and I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome, because I'm going to get to see Jamie. So I had, I, I got already had like this crushed velvet, Blazer jacket type thing, had the red knit tie. Do you guys remember the knit ties? The square ones that were square at the bottom? The gold tie clip, right? Mom had been working on the hair to make it seem smooth, you know? And like, I was totally ready for this. Get to family camp, in the car all the way to family camp, just thinking about this moment, right? Get to family camp, pull up into the parking lot. There's a hill that leads up to the tabernacle. And I've got my shiny wingtips on, so I don't want to get those scuffed up. So I'm like very carefully walking up the hill, get to the top of the hill. And I'm like scanning the crowd for Jamie. Everybody's up there scanning the crowd. And then I see her and she's walking across the yard to the tabernacle, holding hands with a guy named Bart. (laughs) Tall, skinny, older, like 14, you know, all put together and I was just like crushed. There's like no way I can compete with that guy, and it was over. First heartbreak, right? That's a very trivial, funny example of what we experience as we get older. These things get deeper, right? Our disappointments, our losses get deeper, and they extend far beyond this little romantic realm. We, st- we start to we start to feel the pain of loss as we get older. We, we might lose a mother or a father. We might lose a friend or a partner or a, a, a son or a daughter. We might lose, uh, you know, someone that we grew up with or a colleague, um, a, a teacher or a professor. And when we experience these losses, the profoundness of that pain is just deep. It gets really deep as we as the as the extent of the relationship is deeper. So is the extent of the pain that we experience at the loss, right? And when we think about heartbreak, it's hard to describe exactly the sensation because it's not exactly physical pain, but it actually feels a little bit like physical pain. And it's not exactly exhaustion, but there's an element of that, too, and it doesn't feel exactly like sickness but there's an element of that too and it's all of these sensations that come over us at once and we struggle with it and it hurts and it's deep and that deep sense of heartbreak that deep sense of sorrow and grief is what the scripture is referring to that we're going to discuss today i'm going to read you two passages one from psalms and one from luke um but what I think this, these passages are talking about are not the sort of hairline fracture that we experience with a, little, with a little loss. But that sense of our heart being crushed. That sense of our heart just being smashed into a, a million tiny pieces and it feels like it's, it will never be remedied. This can never be scooped up and put back together. And that is the kind of heartbreak that the scripture is talking about. So I'm going to read you two passages um, starting with Psalm 147. And Psalm 147 is is a beautiful passage, and it starts with this phrase, praise the Lord, exclamation point. So whenever you see praise the Lord in the Old Testament, that's one word, and that word is hallelujah, okay? And hallelujah is the word hale in Hebrew means praise or lift up or, you know, uh, celebrate or reflect or shine. One of the definitions of it is rave. Rave, yah, God, Hallelujah, right? Uh, Like, praise God is what it says. Well, actually, that's how it's translated. Exactly right. (laughs) For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. And then here's the part to focus on. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars... He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Let's hang on this for just a second because I want to point out something that kind of, you may have discovered this in your life group this week, but for me, it kind of blew my mind. There are two distinct ideas going into this passage. The first one is, he says, in, in verse three, he says, he heals the broken hearted and binds up their wounds, right? This is a very intimate Uh, uh, empathetic, hands-on, loving, um, sort of uh, compassionate act where you see God as binding up, physically, literally binding up the hearts of the outcasts, right? The second sentence, the sentence after that, number four, is he determines the number of stars and he gives to all of them their name. That evokes this image of God that is massive and powerful and 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 a commander and is is throwing out these galaxies and creating these massive worlds right and these universes and that's what he's doing and he's got these two seemingly david or the psalm writer here has these two seemingly incongruous themes going at once one is this intimate loving personal god and one is this great omnipotent powerful commander of the universe who's who's creating all of the stars, right? And then the next sentence is what the psalm writer is trying to get us to understand. He says, great is our Lord and abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. What he's saying is, this God over here that creates the galaxies, that creates the stars, that creates the universe, that is over all, that is totally the greatest omnipotent authority that you can ever imagine, is deeply, passionately, personally interested in you that god has a deep and abiding and compassionate and empathetic desire to heal your heart you personally i I find that to be amazing that this um this massive god that's so big that we can't even understand him this unfathomable, unfathomable force is there to bind up your heart and my heart and then the next passage I want to just touch on briefly is this passage where Jesus's ministry got started. And this is right when he launched his ministry, okay? This is at the very beginning. And it says, so Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he's back in his hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Every Sabbath he was Jewish. He went to the synagogue and worshipped with, with uh, you know, the other people in his village. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So it was his turn to read the the Torah and also the the, the other books, the prophets. So he stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah was written several hundred years before Jesus was born, okay? And so he opens the book of Isaiah and he's looking and he says, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And then this is quotes. This is what was written in the book of Isaiah. And what was written there is this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel or to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me, next slide, he has sent me to heal the broken hearted. Then Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture this scripture in Isaiah is being fulfilled right here in your ears. He said, my job from the beginning of time has been to come here to the earth and bind up the broken hearted. That's my job description, Jesus is saying. That's what, was, that's what I was called to do. That's what I am here to do. I'm here, my mission on the earth is to bind up the broken hearted. I find that just to be so amazing and so compelling that the Lord of Lords, our Savior, his role on the earth is to heal your heart, to heal that brokenness in your heart, to heal that disappointment, that loss, that wound, that fracture, to pick up those millions of pieces and put them back together. I want to talk just a a few minutes and and read through or or talk through a few of the themes um, that we see in these passages Uh, And the first one is this. The first one is this. You are never alone in the sorrow of your broken heart. You're never alone. Uh, One of the most painful parts about a broken heart is this excruciating sense that you're by yourself. That there's no one else that could possibly fathom what you're experiencing. Right? And that is what hurts so badly about sorrow. Is that it is alienating. And you feel totally isolated. You feel cut off. You feel completely unable to relate to others, right? And you're just, you're just hurting alone. Um, on October 17, 1995, at the neonatal intensive care unit in Worcester, Massachusetts, there were two babies. This is back in 95. There were two babies that were born. They were twins. You may have heard this story. They were twins, twin girls, and they were born 12 weeks premature. They were tiny; these little babies were about two pounds each. Okay, and they were born into the neonatal care unit there in Worcester, Massachusetts. And the caregivers told the parents from the very beginning, "Look, the prognosis is not great uh, when you have these two little premen." This is back in '95, and we've advanced, you know, with medicine. But in, in in 1995, you got two little two-pound twins, and and you know the the. The prognosis was they may get stronger or they may not. Okay, we just don't know. And uh, over the over the weeks, over the days, as the as the as the children were um, in these little incubators, one of them started getting stronger, and one of them started getting weaker. One of them started putting on weight, and the other was not putting on weight. And about three weeks in after their birth, suddenly the weaker one, her health began to spiral out of control. Right. Her heartbeat started racing. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't get oxygen. Uh, She had started to turn blue. And the, the, the hospital staff were doing everything that they could to try to stop the spiral of this little girl's health, right? And in the midst of all this chaos, they're intervening in every possible way. One of the nurses on the ward just sort of came up with this idea on her own. It had not been done as a practice in any U.S. hospital she reached into the one incubator where the the healthy girl the uh, the healthy little twin was was lying and she picked that little baby up and she put that baby in the incubator with the girl whose health was struggling the little weak baby right and these these two little twins they sort of you know kind of nestled around kind of instinctively felt each other and the healthy little girl's arm slipped over the shoulder of the you know of the weaker one and it's just how they kind of ended up lying there and the the doctor said that immediately this little one the little weak one her health stabilized her breathing stabilized her heartbeat went down to regular and she began to completely her health completely stabilized at that point and the the issues that was going that were going on with her stopped and over the next few days and the next few weeks they left the two of them together, and they started and, and, and she started to heal, and she started to strengthen. she started to put on weight. This was a brand new novel idea. There happened to be a um, photographer that was covering a different story at the hospital at that time, and everyone was talking about this this issue and He took this photograph of the two girls and uh, and, and the doctors described what happened and it just it became the sort of news sensation, you know, it was on Time in Time, or Life magazine, and Reader's Digest, and it was in magazines all over the world, and it actually transformed the way that they do neonatal care work now. They do, a lot of times we'll do co-bedding, where if there are twins, they'll allow them to stay in the same incubator, um, and they're also, they've also started, and any of you who have had kids in the last, you know, five years, Um, would know that that they're also now doing a lot of training about skin-on-skin contact. And when you have like a little infant training the parents to let let the the infant's skin touch your skin. And it it was revolutionary. But what what the whole point of it is, is that instinctively somewhere down in our hearts, down in our minds and in our bodies, there's a comfort just knowing that we're not alone. There's a comfort, a stabilizing comfort comfort that comes just knowing that there's someone else there someone else that cares someone that's with you and that you're not isolated and alienated all by yourself by the way those two girls are now 18 years old and they're getting ready to head off to college you know um it's an amazing story and and the scripture teaches us over and over and over again that in the midst of your struggle in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through, in the midst of your heartbreak, there is a God who is right there with you. He's with you. He's available to you. He's accessible to you. He's as close as your next breath. In, in Psalm thirty four eighteen, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And there's something so beautiful about this passage, because for some of us, it's not until we are brokenhearted, it's not until we have that crushed spirit that we are even receptive to the knowledge of God, right? It almost takes that brokenness for us to go, okay, I need you, God, right? And the the scripture says that it's the he saves the crushed in spirit, and he is near to the brokenhearted. Deuteronomy 3:31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Over and over through the scriptures, we get this image of a God who is standing by who's standing right there, who's hovering over you, who's, who's right there and you're in that incubator and he's got his hands on you. He's right there in the midst of your sorrow. In Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, it says, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things to come, no, let's see, lost it, nor things nor present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm going to finish this point just by saying, look, if you're if you are struggling today, if you feel alone, if you're feeling sorrow, if you're feeling heartbreak, if you're if you're going through a time in your life that is difficult, there is a God who is right there with you. He's right there beside you every single step of the way. The second point I want to make is that the grief of a believer is a tunnel, not a grave. It's a tunnel, not a grave. Uh, When we're in that grief, when we're in that period of difficulty and challenge and heartbreak, it feels like it's the end. There's a sense that you're stuck and you're buried and you're not going anywhere. Right? I heard a a, a, sort of a light-hearted song on the radio uh, this week. It's by a country artist. Her name's Miranda Lambert. I don't know anything about her, but I heard these lyrics. And I kind of cracked up because they're describing this, uh, this experience. The character in the story has had this heartbreak, right? And she's been betrayed and left by a man. And it's clearly like she feels like it's the end for her, right? And so she just loses it in, this, in the lyrics. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. Uh, because she just feels like it's over. She says, I cut my bangs with some rusty kitchen scissors. I screamed his name till the neighbors called the cops. I numbed the pain. At the expense of my liver. Don't know what I did next. All I know, I couldn't stop. She's like, I am losing it. She said, word got around to the barflies and the baptists. My mama's phone started ringing off the hook. I can hear her now saying she ain't going to have it. Don't matter how you feel. It only matters how you look. Uh, and then the refrain says, go and fix your makeup, girl. It's just a breakup. Run and hide your crazy and start acting like a lady. Because I raised you better. Got to keep it together. Even when you fall apart, and then she says, but this ain't my mama's broken heart. She says, look, my mama doesn't know what's going on. This heartbreak is the end all be all. I'm, you know, it's over, right? That's what it feels like when you hit that wall, when you lose that person, when something that you hope for, you anticipated, you desired, when that goes away, it feels like the end but the scripture tells us and i'm going to go quickly through a few scriptures here 1st Thessalonians 4:13 it says we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep and when he says asleep he means dead he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope he's saying look we have a hope we know that there is a there the, the death is not the end death Life and death is a, very, is a fraction of a second in the infinite span of eternity in which we are now participating. Sometimes we think of life and then we think of eternity, right? But that's not the case. We're in eternity now. This is eternity now. We're in it. And, and our life and our death is but a blink of an eye for those who believe we have hope beyond this life. Uh, Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There is hope beyond what we're experiencing right now. Psalm 35 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's a tunnel, not a grave. We're going through it. We're not staying in it. We're walking it out. We're going through the darkness, but there'll be light at the end of the tunnel. Psalm 126, 5 says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. We have a hope as believers that what we're experiencing, the pain and difficulty that we're experiencing now is not the end. It's not the end. And I'm going to close with this. And this is the third point. I, I got my watch. Okay, we're good. Third point is this. Your greatest sorrow is a bridge to your greatest strength. Your greatest sorrow is a bridge to your greatest strength. This week I had the, the, the pleasure and the honor of being at a dinner for a group called Urban K-Life. And Urban K-Life is this nonprofit group in St. Louis and they do a lot of work with uh, young people. And they, and they help out with mentoring and teaching these young folks. And all these really cool programs for kids that may not have role models in their life, right? And at this dinner, there was a pre, uh, 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 one of the presenters, a, a person who gave a presentation by video, was a guy named David Stewart. And David Stewart was this guy who grew up in the small town of Clinton, Missouri. And this is back in the 50s and 60s. And Mr. Stewart faced all kinds of stuff. He faced poverty. He, pa- he faced intense racial discrimination and prejudice as a young child. Uh, He's an African-American young man growing up in the 50s and 60s in a small town in Missouri. So um, he writes of that experience. He says, I vividly remember segregation, separate schools, sitting in the balcony at the movie theater, being barred from the public swimming pool. All of these experiences as a young man, he's sitting there on the outside looking in. You know, he can't sit down in the main part of the theater. He's up in the balcony and he, he's looking through the fence at the public swimming pool watching his friends his white counterparts swimming and he's standing there not able to do it and just every over and over he's experiencing this this heartbreak and this you know and and this pain at being kept away from, from the things that he wanted to do. Uh, and this could have jaded him it could have made him cynical it could have made him bitter, could have made him hard, could have made him angry but listen what it did he said these experiences had a profound effect on the man i am today the adversities he said i encountered during my youth served as my training ground those that sorrow was my training ground that pain was my training ground for the hard times that i eventually faced as a struggling entrepreneur and a businessman so what he's saying is that pain he experienced as a child became the fuel that propelled him as an adult. David Stewart went, on, uh, to, went to college at Central Missouri State University and then he had an illustrious career with several different uh, large corporations until 1990 when he founded a company here in St. Louis called Worldwide Technology. It's one of St. Louis's largest independent companies. This has got a three point two billion dollar revenue annually. It's it's one of the country's largest African American owned businesses in the whole United States, and this is a guy who let this heartbreak, let this struggle, let this pain inform who he became as a man. He's a believer. He loves God. And last this week at that Urban K-Life, uh, at that Urban K Life dinner, he gave. to that group because he said, look, I want to pour back. I want to pour back and give back because that pain that I went through, I want other kids to know that 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 pain, whatever it is in your life, let that shape you into the greatness that God has for you. And I'll close with this. The the prime example of this is, is the very end of Jesus's life. This, this theme of your greatest sorrow being the source of your greatest strength. Jesus suffered pain. The scripture says he was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. He was a man who knew what it was to grieve. He grieved over the unbelief of his family. He grieved over the, the unbelief and the waywardness of his friends and the people around him. He grieved over Jerusalem. He, he, he grieved when his, he went to, to raise his, his friend Lazarus from the dead and, and no one would believe him and he grieved and he wept, right? But the, probably the greatest moment of heartbreak and sorrow in all of the scripture, the greatest moment, the most crystal clear moment of deep heartbreak is is that moment if you remember when he's hanging on the cross he's already being crucified and he just cries out spontaneously and he says father father why have you forsaken me it's just this moment this brief little moment in the scripture where we get to see inside the heart of jesus where he's saying father why have you forsaken me he's he's in in excruciating pain and he's been spit upon and betrayed by all of his friends. And you know the story. And he's saying, why have you forsaken me? And then he hangs his head and dies. And in that moment, that moment of greatest grief, that, great, that moment of greatest sorrow is when salvation comes to the entire world. He, he dies for all of us, right? And it's that moment, it's that moment of greatest sorrow that is also the culminating moment. The greatest moment of his life on earth. Dying for you and dying for me. The sacrifice that he made for you and for me. So let me just encourage you with that today. Whatever it is that you are struggling with. Whatever it is that you are going through right now. Whether it's friends or family or career or difficulties or challenges or past losses of of people that you love. Give that to God. Give that burden to God and let him transform that within you. To become a source of strength for you in your life. I'll Someday I'll talk to, about, to you about a pastor named Charles Tindley. was an old Methodist pastor. But he wrote this song called. Uh, Take your burdens to the Lord. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. It's a beautiful song. But he just says. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt. He will always bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And I I just want to encourage you today, whatever it is that you're going through, as we enter into this season, and as you're feeling those feelings and having those moments and having those expressions of, of heartbreak, give that to the Lord and let him transform your life and let him bring you joy and strength and fulfillment and encouragement so that, and I left out the scripture, but so that you can be a joy and a strength and an encouragement to others. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for walking us through uh, this, this time today, God, where we, where we look into your word and we begin, we begin to understand that, in fact, it's what you came to do. You came to bind up our broken hearts. You came to find that deep piece of struggle, that deep heartbreak in us, and you came to transform us through your spirit, Lord, and also through others, through others within our congregation to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to nourish one another, God. We know that we're not alone today and we thank you, God, that you're here with us. God, if there's anyone here today that needs you, is going through a struggle and they are feeling totally alone, I just pray that you'll reach out into their heart today and transform them, let them know that you love them, Let them know that you're there. Let them know that you're right by their side and that you're here to bind up their broken heart. Father, we thank you for this. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.